0: Welcome to the Teaching Ministry of C4 Church. Yeah, as we have prayed already as a community, we do this here and with those online. That we are deeply grateful for our nation, grateful for peace, grateful for service. But our prayer beyond that is a much more significant prayer than remembrance. We are asking that many, many more would encounter Jesus and find citizenship in heaven. And so thank you for our nation, O Lord, but help us to realize that we are secondary citizens here and primary citizens somewhere else. Lord, now we ask for your spirit to come upon us and myself. May your word of God, the word of God as you promise not turn void, give us ears and hearts and eyes that are open and ready to hear. And everyone said, Amen. amen, amen. Well, uh, welcome to to week two in our new series out of the book of John, and so if you've got a Bible this morning, uh, physically or virtually, we'd love you to turn to John chapter 1, and we're going to begin again around verse 15 in a few minutes. I think all of us would realize that uh, when when we are woken up, uh, or if we're being very silent and uh, a loud noise grabs our attention, uh, it's startling. If you're in your home and it's the middle of the night and you hear something crash, you are startled awake, your your silence is broken and you wonder what's going on. If you've ever been to an air show before or even just because uh, we have a lot of air, uh, airlines come across the lake, when you are walking, I don't know if you've experienced a fighter jet going above you, but as it whips by, you may see it or not see it, but you will hear it. It will, it will break your, your silence. I experience this on a regular basis with my children. They break my silence every single day. Every single moment, there is nothing more terrifying than when you are in a deep sleep, and I am an unbelievably deep sleeper. And my five-year-old or my three-year-old, or you know, will be like this close to my face while I'm sleeping. Do you know what I'm saying? And they will just say, "Daddy," you know, my, and just no, don't hurt the children. Don't hurt the children, right? Uh, they they shatter and they break your silence. Maybe you've had an experience when you've been at a stop sign or at stoplight and and some guys pull up beside you and they've got the tricked out car and they've got not one bass but four hundred bases and it's so loud you actually think you're sitting in the car with them and you have no and they shatter your silence. That happened to me when I was a youth pastor, two young guys came up, they had their tricked out car and they rolled down their windows and they were pumping out some stuff and they looked at me and they gave me like, What? What? I was like, really? You're doing this to me? I said, fine, I'm going to respond. I wasn't thinking very well at that moment. And so I found uh, the best classical station I could. I found that it was playing opera, which was better. I pumped it up, turned down my windows and said, what? They had no clue what to do. (laughs) They they had no clue what to do at all. They were just like, what is this? I said, you broke my silence. I'm going to bring 16th century against you. Take it, young punks. You know, I, I suppose I could have been shot, but that's a different conversation. But I think we all would relate here this morning, no matter our age or stage, you online this morning, that sometimes in our life when we're just doing the mundane, or we're being silent and something breaks our silence, it grabs our attention. As we were in my connect group last night, we were talking about in our own lives how distracted we are, and sometimes how we We miss the voice of God and we miss the acts of God and the move of God because we're either just so self-absorbed or we're just so involved in everything else, and sometimes it takes God coming in beside us with a a tricked-out car or, or a fighter jet in the sense that he has to do something very significantly loud to grab our attention. See, that's what the whole book of John is actually about. This gospel is meant to break the silence and grab our attention. That's why Jesus came Christmas at its most powerful and purest and non-commercial is that God has entered in to grab our attention. And many witnesses in this book are going to start saying the same thing. Don't just look around, but let God break in so you can hear. We started this last week and began to walk through some things, and we found it, of course, that the book of John. The gospel of John was written for one reason, that you might believe John actually uses the word believe 98 times in his book, and the best summary of the whole book of John is found in the second last chapter, John 20, 31, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. Last week, if you were with us, John started in a place before time. A place where usually no one else started to start talking about Jesus. Not at Christmas, not in the Old Testament, not even in the Garden of Eden. He actually starts in what we call eternity past, the time before time existed. And remember his first words? In the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was with God in the beginning we found out last week that the Word and God shared the same essence. They were in proximity to each other. They had a closeness with each other. And we found out later that the Word was a description of Jesus. And so the claim of John right in the first verse, so we know who we're believing in, is this, that Jesus is equal with God because he is God. And what's more amazing is all that is true about God is true about the Word, and all that's true about the Word is true about the Father. And what's more amazing, when we begin to understand that Jesus is beyond prophet or religious leader, but He is actually God, the the amazing next step is that God Himself, Jesus, the eternal Word, chooses to come and live among us. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and fully, full of truth. Within 14 verses, John only, not only helps us understand who we believe in, but he gives the descriptor, the descriptor of who the God is that we love, and he says Jesus himself is one thing, or two things. He is full of grace, and he is full of truth. He is not just a grace-filled person, or sometimes likes truth. His DNA is grace and truth. It was Martin Luther, the great reformer, who wrote these words, thinking about these verses. Referring to Jesus, he says, this spring, listen closely, is inexhaustible. It is full of grace and truth from God, and it never loses anything. No matter how much we draw, but remain an infinite fountain of all grace and truth, the more we draw from it, the more abundantly it gives of water that springs into eternal life. I love this. Just as the sun is not darkened, By the whole world enjoying its light. And could actually indeed light up ten ten worlds. Just as a hundred thousand lights may be lit from one little light, but will not detract from it. Just as a learned man is able to make a thousand others learned. And the more he gives, the more he has. So it is with Jesus our Lord. An infinite source of all grace and truth. I love this. And he said, if the whole world was to draw on so much grace and truth that we all became like angels, it would not lose a drop, for the fountain always runs over with grace. That is the truth about Jesus. He is a bottomless sea of love and grace and truth. Later, John would write other letters to other communities. And in 1 John, he wrote this in 1 John 1.1 that which was one from the beginning, which we have heard and we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at in our hands and touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. This is the best summary of all of last week's message. God did not remain abstract. God has broken into our silence by coming and grabbed our attention. He is eternal. He is life. He is fully human. He is fully God. Jesus, John says, was seen. Jesus was touched. He really was human, and Jesus is proclaimed because he is God, for he is is the word of life this is the jesus we worship in this church well the story is far from finished john is just getting warmed up he moves us the reader and the hearer from eternity past from prologue to presentation he now begins to record to work out what it means that god actually has skin on he begins to outline the truth the testimony he now begins to reintroduce all of us to the one we've been estranged from And he does this through multiple witnesses. And the first one he chooses is a man named John the Baptist. John the Baptist, of course, Jesus' cousin. He will be the first of many that will point us to the one that we're called to believe in. Now, interesting, before we get into the passage a lot today, let me tell you that John the Baptist's personal story matters. Because the more we understand his story, the more power we will see in his testimony. And interestingly, his story starts in a place of silence, dryness, and loss. So many of us here and you online this morning have been in a place where we call out to God in our barrenness, in our desert, and we ask for a fresh sense sense from God, a new move, a new understanding, something more than what God did years ago. We look around and know there's got to be more to God in his work, and, and we long for it. We long for it in ourselves, in our families, in our church. It's an unshakable desire for some, and yet it seems so very far away. For That experience is the same as John the Baptist's community. The community of God at this moment in history, the Hebrews had not heard anything from God for 400 years. They had prayed. They'd suffered. Alexander the Great had come in and caused terrible damage. Then his generals divided up the known world. Horrific things took place in 400 years, and they cried out, and they held on by the skin of their teeth, understanding that God was still in the throne, they thought, but where was he? Where was the ancient stories of miraculous intervention and, and faithfulness? All they had was the last verses of the Old Testament out of the book of Malachi, And for 400 years, they held on to these wondering as generations of faithful people died, wondering if God was going to show up again. Here are the last words in Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord, and he will restore the hearts of the Father to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. 400 years of silence. 400 years but suddenly God breaks into the silence and grabs his people's attention and God chooses to do it through a man named John the Baptist who we call the forerunner. He actually is the fulfillment of Malachi. He's the child of a man named Zachariah and a woman Elizabeth. He was a priest, Zachariah. They were old, they were barren, they could have no children. Through lots, how they did it, Zechariah was called to worship and serve God in the temple. It was a huge honor. And when he went in there, suddenly he encountered Gabriel, the archangel, the same one that met Mary and Joseph. And this is what Gabriel said about the coming of John the Baptist, Luke 1.13. The angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth is going to bear you a son and you are to give him the name John. And he will be a joy and delight to you, and and many will rejoice because of his birth. And he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled by the Holy Spirit even from birth. And many of the people of Israel he will bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go before the Lord, here it is ready, in the spirit and the power of Elijah, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John the Baptist is the fulfillment of the last words in the Old Testament. and Gabriel comes and he decides through God's sovereignty to speak to Zachariah and Elizabeth. and Elizabeth, in her very old age, actually has this child. John the Baptist was born. He grew up, he lived in a religious desert community, and 29 years later, he bursts onto the scene. But he dresses in a weird way. He's covered in camel hair, he drinks honey, he eats grasshoppers, and he comes and he starts preaching repentance. So many were actually glad at that moment in history. Finally, they cried out, finally God is starting to move again, and yet it's not what they thought it was going to look like. See, he started calling out against sin, A call even to another that was going to come that would demand even more. You see, here's the truth. When you and I call on God to come, and he comes, he comes A, in his own time, but B, he does what he pleases and when he pleases, whether the weak or strong, whoever you are, when you call upon God, God will show up and his move will be in his right timing. But when he comes, he will not come in our box, not in our little theology, nor will he come the way we think he should. Careful what you ask for. Because as we're going to see, the many that prayed for a revival for 400 years, that is a living encounter between the living God and his people. When it did come, they did not approve, but rejected. Few said yes, most said no. God answered their prayer and they said, but that's not what we thought it would look like. Jesus would say about John the Baptist, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Back to the passage, John 1 15. John the Baptist has been preaching for a year. Jesus is not on the scene yet. He has got this crazy hair and crazy ha- camel hair, and he is crying out. And it says in verse 15, John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this was he of whom I said uh, he will come after me has sur- and he will surpass me because he was before me. See again the connection to last week. John was actually saying the one that he was about to proclaim was before him why? Because Jesus is eternal and also this one he was proclaiming it was about to come the Messiah would surpass him. The one is come that is coming he would say will exceed me, will be better, will be beyond me, will be beyond my abilities. He would say, "Oh look, oh Israel, oh look at world, look oh world, look at the one that I'm about to point to. For he, he is the one you must meet. You must believe in him, you must <coughs> embrace him. He is holy Holy and eternal. He is that bottomless sea of love and grace and truth. Don't connect yourself to me. I'm just a man. From fullness of his grace, we have received one blessing after another, John preached. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through the Lord Jesus. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who sits at the Father's side, he has made him known. Do you see that last verse? Profound. Again John the Baptist reinforces what John the Apostle is writing no one has ever seen God except now we know who God is and what he looks like and what he's about because the God who sits at God's right hand that is Jesus reveals who he is we can know who God is what he's about and what he's not Jesus is eternal Jesus is creator Jesus is the source of life Jesus reveals the Father like I preached last week our world cries out I just want to know if God's out there I want to know if he's loving I want to know if he cares and what about all this evil and tragedy in my life where is god what does he look like what does he feel like and we cry out god has already broken the silence look back at jesus if you want to know who god is in his fullness look at his son john the baptist is preaching thousands start showing up where he is and it starts to get the attention of the religious leaders of his day it says in verse 19 now this was john's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites, that's priests and other, other people serving the temple, to ask him who he was. The religious leaders gather around him and ask, this unexpected leader from the desert, you need to prove yourself, you know that, right? Like, who are you? Who, who do you think you are? See, in the world, those who wield the most power get to declare what is truth, And in religion, those who are worthy get to speak. Unworthy people never get to speak. And so these leaders come to John the Baptist and they say to him, by what rule? By what regulation? By what ritual? By what right do you preach? Do you point? Do you act? Do you baptize? Who do you think you are? He did not fail to confess, but confess freely, I am not the Christ. Some of you are brand new to the faith or checking it out have always presumed that Jesus Christ, Christ was his last name. It's not. It means anointed one. It means Messiah. The whole Old Testament is pointing to a king that would come to make all things right, one that would be perfect and would fulfill all of God's promises. Of course, it's Jesus. And they come and they say to John the Baptist, Well, are you the Christ? He says, I am absolutely not the Messiah. I am not the one you're looking for. Then they said in verse 21, Well, then who are you? Are you Elijah then? And he says, Well, no, I'm not that either. And you go, Hold on, John, I'm confused. It said in Malachi that Elijah would come, and Gabriel said he would have the spirit of Elijah, and now John says, I'm not Elijah. See, the Jews at this time actually believed that Elijah was going to come down from heaven, the actual Elijah, and they missed the point. It is one who is coming in the power, the ministry, the spirit of Elijah, and so John quickly says, I am not literally Elijah. No, it's not me. Then they say, well, are you the prophet? He said, no. Time and time again, John says, no, no. By the way, this is when we all need to pay attention very closely. John sheds the temptation of fame, and of power, and of relevance, and of popularity, of being powerful in the worldly sense. John fiercely, in the strongest of terms, says, I am not the one you're supposed to connect to. John refuses to get in the way of the one they all need to meet. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who have sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice, the one calling out in the desert, make straight the way of the Lord. And at this moment, Handel's Messiah breaks out in some of your minds. He says, I'm the voice. I am a witness. I am preparing the way for God's coming. Really, I am actually preparing the way for God's literal coming. I am not the word. I'm not eternal. I'm not creator. I'm not the light, and I'm not the life. I have no power, he says, to forgive. I have no power to change the human heart. I have no power to restore people back to God. I cannot reconcile. I cannot redeem, and I cannot rescue anyone. I have no inherent power but What I can do is point you to the one that can do all that and more. My role, he says, is clear, and the boundary is set. My job, and my job alone, is I am the voice. Now, at that moment, there would be great conversation, and I'm sure deep hostility. This guy who's come out of the desert, who's preaching, is saying about himself that he's the guy that Isaiah was writing about 700 years earlier when the Spirit of God lightened upon Isaiah and inspired him to write this section of Isaiah. John the Baptist standing up to the religious leaders of his day and saying, oh, by the way, guys, just so you know, that part of Isaiah, right here, me. I've come. Now, some of the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Well, then why do you baptize if you're not the Christ or, or Elijah the prophet? And he says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, and he is the one that comes after me. The thongs of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of Jordan where John was baptizing. Now, it's interesting. We've got to get this so we get the power of this. John is baptizing people. Now, baptism is a new thing. We saw one today. But back then, let me tell you some history. When non-Jews wanted to worship the true living God, and they decided to follow the Jewish faith, they were baptized. They were actually brought into the temple in pure, clean water, confessed their sins, and they were immersed. And that is how they gained entrance, limited entrance, into God's people. John the Baptist comes along, and he radically changes this idea. Catch this, especially if you've grown up in church. John the Baptist is baptizing, and he's saying to all the people of God, all the Jews that supposedly already knew God because they were ethnically Jews, you think you're better than non-Jews? You think because you've been born a Jew and you've got a temple around the corner that you've got it and they don't? You're wrong. You need the same baptism as a non-Jew needs because we all need to get right with God. Oh, John the Baptist bursts on the scene and starts saying that the whole world is in trouble before a holy God, and the whole world needs to prepare itself, and the whole world needs to what? Repent. And water baptism is the symbol of repentance. So you can imagine why the religious leaders are getting upset, because A, he's not doing it in the temple, B, he's not one of them, C, he's doing it in unclean, muddy water in Jordan, and then, excuse me, you're comparing us to non-Jews? He says, oh, you betcha I am. Things are getting interesting. Suddenly, the story changes. Thousands are now surrounding John. He's baptizing them, and a 30-year-old walks into the scene. You wouldn't have been able to tell he was different than anyone else. There's no halo, no, no guardian angels, no light, just a guy. He looked like everyone else. But what they did not understand or recognize or see that the guy who was standing right beside them, between some children, I'm sure, and an old man and some women, was God with skin on. The Word, their very creator, the author of life, the light of the world, was standing right beside them. The same God that walked with Adam and Eve in the garden was right in the crowd. The same God that was at the burning bush with Moses and actually was involved in the giving of the Ten Commandments was standing right there. The same God that Isaiah fell down and said, Woe is I, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live a- among a people that are unclean. That same God of glory was standing right beside them. Every angel worships the one they're standing beside, and they have no clue. It says the following day, Jesus walked with the crowds towards John And suddenly, as John was preaching and crying out, it almost seems in the text that he stops. And he looks over a thousand people, and he says, you, that one there. And everyone has no clue what's going on. He says, there, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Everyone starts looking around. It's definitely not me, some say. No, there, he says, there, there, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world crowd, I'm sure, went silent. Just like a movie, I'm sure, everyone sort of parted, and there was Jesus, this guy. Such powerful, profound, life-changing statements. Every Jew hearing this would understand the implication of this statement. It's, it's, it's the heart of the Old Testament. Abraham takes Isaac up and God tells him to sacrifice his only son. And as he raises the knife, an angel says, Stop, Abraham, I've seen your faith. And he provides a ram in the thicket. And suddenly there, that ram becomes the lamb or the ram that is sacrificed. The picture of God the Father sending a substitute is given. Moses is sent to set the people of God free in their terrible slavery. And and Pharaoh says, I will not let these people go. They're mine. I don't care who or what God you serve. And the last plague, of course, is the, the, the most terrible plague. God says, if you will not let my people go, I will send an angel of death and every firstborn child in all the nation will die. But he says to his own people, I will protect you. He says, take a perfect little lamb and kill it and smear, the blood of its, smear its blood over the doorposts. And so when the angel of death would actually come up to the doorposts, they would actually begin to be protected and the angel of death was not allowed to enter in. It passed over. Why? Because the blood was a symbol of a life laid down. It was a symbol of protection. It was a symbol of ownership. Later, when the temple was built, a lamb was killed every morning and every evening as a guilt offering. Thousands of people are there. John the Baptist, the wild man, is preaching. He points to this 30-year-old and he says, there, there is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There is the one that is the fulfillment of Abraham and Moses and everything that even happened this morning in the temple. That's irrelevant now. Him. Jesus, our replacement, our Passover Lamb, the one who deals with our sin." Jesus' perfect life and ministry and death, glorious resurrection and ascension would deal with all of that. John continued, this is the one that I meant when I said, a man who comes after me will surpass me because he is before me. John would best summarize this two chapters later in John 3.30 when he said, "I must beca- he must become greater and I must become less or I must decrease and he must e- increase. John is the great preparer, the great precursor, the one chosen before the beginning of time to prepare the world and his own people for the living God to come back and break into our silence. John, of course, by the way, knew his cousin, but he did not know at the beginning that he was the one He cried out, the one that's standing right there is greater than me, more important than me, more powerful than me. I I can't even touch the guy's sandals. Don't get connected to me, he would declare, to the shock of most. Why? Because this guy had a serious ministry going on. This guy was famous. Thousands of people were showing up to his tent revival and no one else's. And he's crying out, don't, don't, don't get too close to me. Because if you do, you'll miss what's really going on. My baptism is only symbolic. That man over there, he can change your destiny. John gave this testimony, verse 32. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remained on him. And I would have not known him except that the one who had been sent to baptize with, me, to, baptized with water told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain on, he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Matthew gives the account this way in Matthew 3.16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he came out of the water. And at that moment, the heaven was ripped open, and he saw the Spirit of God descend like a dove, enlightened on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. I am well pleased. The Spirit of God identifies who Jesus is and also empowers him so he can do ministry. And there, of course, we have our God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, one essence, three persons. And John says, The one I was looking for, the one I was preparing the world for, has now come. And he will baptize with fire. God through, through Jesus can be known. He says, I've seen, verse 34, I've seen and I've testified that this is the Son of God. See, to have the DNA of God means you have to be God because there's only one God in the universe. And so if you have his DNA, you are him. That's why when Christian Jews and non-Christians uh, uh, christian Christ, uh, would come and say that Jesus is the son of God, there'd be such offense. Because the religious leaders of the day understood to call someone the son of God was actually equating him to be equal with God. And there's John sitting in the middle of Bethany, surrounded by thousands of people, and he points to his cousin, a 30-year-old, and says, that guy over there, it's God in flesh. That guy over there, right there, he's the creator of the universe. He, he's, he's the one that Isaiah prophesied, and I've been sent to prepare the way. Now, there's a lot, I just want to say this morning, I could preach out of this. A lot. I could talk about the gospel, I could talk about the uniqueness of Jesus, we could do a whole apologetic thing, but you know what? As I wrestled before God this week, there's only one thing I want to share with our community this morning. And it's so significant. And by the way, the level of distraction that's about to go up in the room, so you will not hear what I'm about to say, is going to go up, so dig in. It's best summarized in John 3.30. John the Baptist says, Jesus must become greater and I must become less. John was a voice and a really amazing one and his role was to prepare, pr- prepare, prepare the way for the Lord. And, and by the way, he was charismatic and he was gifted and he was powerful and, and he was popular in those senses. But you know what? His motives are the very thing we need as a church at this moment. We've been promised a corporate revival in this church. It hasn't happened yet. As Pastor Dave preached a few, few weeks ago, we know it's coming. A genuine old school revival where there is a lordship experience across our church. And we know we've also been prompted that there is an unusual period coming for all of Durham where there will be an awakening where thousands will meet him. So when God is going to do a new thing among us, And not just renew a few of us, but actually sweep across this church in a sovereign move. And and when the awakening takes place and breaks out across our region and our church and others, the lesson that we need to hear this morning is unbelievably clear. This church, we as the people of C4, are called to prepare the way of God for each other in this region. Or let me put it this way, we're called to be John the Baptist for each other, and this region. When God shows up in power, it's going to get weird. We're going to be challenged by religious leaders. We're going to be written off, called fringe and dangerous, but that's always the way it goes when God shows up in power. People expected someone, and they got a camel herring, (laughs) locust-eating firebrand. But see, the cost of revival, everyone... The cost of personal renewal, the cost of an awakening where thousands meet Jesus means our hearts have to change. We can never get in the way of Jesus, ever. Jesus, like we found out the last two weeks, is God, eternal, light, life. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus lets us see see the Father. How could we ever presume to get in His way? Our only job as a church is to point to Jesus, live for Jesus, and introduce people to Jesus because we have nothing else to offer except Jesus. John was clear about who he was and who he was not. He had not, here it is, everyone ready, he had not wrapped his identity, his worth, his values, or his motives into his serving. His goal was not to be relevant. His goal was not to be popular or loved in the sense that he feels good about himself because lots of people said, We like you. His goal was not to be spectacular. His goal was only to point people to Jesus and let Jesus change them because Jesus baptizes with fire. He could only point to the one that could. We can never think that this is about us or that we're more special or better or righteous or more privileged than another church. This is God's call. I only know our assignment for this community, not the rest. But the cost of a real move of God in this community, the cost and the calling for a grand move of God in this region is that you personally and that your connect group and that we as a people would ask God to make us like John the Baptist in our motives so we really can be the voice and really can prepare the way. Let me say it. God is about to move in this church in a way he has never done in 28 years. It is happening. God is going to come to Durham, and thousands are going to be saved. And our role, and we're only one church, may this be true of all of them, our role is to be a voice, a prophetic voice, and we are called to prepare the way for a new move of God. But our motives have to be so unbelievably clean and clear, because the power of God only goes through people when they're clean. John the Baptist did not have time for self-promotion. He knew that he was the lamp, not the light. He was the voice, not the word. He knew he was the messenger, not the message. John was powerfully used by God, but he knew this, everyone. He knew that he was not indispensable. You're not indispensable, and nor am I. Jesus is the only one that is permanent. It was never about John. It was never about his ministry. It was about Jesus. And so John begins to show us what it truly means to be a person that is walking in the power and presence of God and begins to show us how pure and life-changing our Christian lives must become so we truly can point and prepare a way. I was wrestling all this week, how in the world do we bring this home? How does this become practical? How How do we do this And a few months ago, I discovered an old prayer. I have no clue who wrote it. And when I reread it this week, I was struck by it because this prayer actually summarizes all of John the Baptist's ministry and our calling in our life. See, if there's one stronghold in this church that's alive and active and affecting many of us here, it's fear. Fear that God maybe actually is going to really show up and we don't want to have a conversation with him about that. Though we love him, or fear that actually God's gonna show up in an out-of-the-box way in a so much that we just we can't think about it, it's just too much. John the Baptist understood so profoundly that we and he was a voice and he was calling to prepare the way, and he knew and he knew and he knew that it was never about him, and he never got in the way. So, what I'm gonna do is this I'm gonna read this prayer. I don't want you to pray it, because it's too dangerous of a prayer. And then we're going to pray it together. Here's how it goes. Oh, Jesus, meek and humble of heart, don't pray it, please. Hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, that's about ego, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised by others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated. This is where it goes from your heart to what happens if we actually step out and God moves. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised by others. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged. Deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire this. That others would be esteemed more than I. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire this. That in the opinion of the world, others would increase and I would decrease. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire this. That others would be chosen and I would be set aside. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others might be praised and I would go unnoticed. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be preferred in everything, be preferred to me in everything. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may become holier than I, provided I become holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That I would decrease, I added this, and Jesus, you would increase exponentially that all my fears and wants would be found in Jesus' voice and no one else. Revival is when God shows up and our motives get checked at the door. And we become so obsessed about Jesus and not ourselves that we delight when we are left behind and others encounter Christ. So here's how we're going to do this. Not what we usually do here at all. But it's important for you that are leaders across our church, elders and pastors, you who are volunteer leaders, for you that are young people, teenagers, you that are young adults, and we as adults, this is a prayer we need to pray. Because if we are called to prepare the way for a new move of God, this is the only way that we'll be like John the Baptist. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray this prayer again. And I'm going to stop at each one. And if it's you, I want you to stand. So if you're like, this is, I need Jesus to deal with this in my life, stand. It's not about humiliation. It's about the family being honest with each other that we need a new move of God. And if you choose to stand for the whole thing, that's fine. But this is a significant moment because we are inviting Jesus to so clean out our motives that we really can become ones who prepare the way for the Lord. And then we're going to end the song. So um, just get ready. I'm going to ask Jesus' spirit to come to tell us what's us. Holy Spirit, we ask you now to come here and for everyone online. We accept our role, Lord, to be the voice in preparing the way of the Lord in this area. But we pray that you would not relent. So hear our prayer. And if it's you, and the first one, you can just stand. And we're going to do this very quietly. So Jesus, meek and humble in heart, hear us as a church. So the first one is esteemed. If that's you, you can just stand. You pray this. From the desire of being esteemed, Uh, deliver me, Jesus. The next one is being loved, where where you get your identity. From the desire of being loved by others. Deliver me, Jesus. Next one is extolled. From the desire of being extolled. Deliver me, Jesus. Next one's honored. From the desire of being honored. Deliver me, Jesus. Here's a big one. Praised. From the desire of being praised by others. Uh, Deliver me, Jesus. It's a tough one. Preferred to others. From the desire of being preferred to others. Deliver me, Jesus. Next one's consulted. From the desire of being consulted, being the expert. Deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved. Hmm. Deliver us, Jesus. Now we get into the fear about stepping out. from the fear of being humiliated. Uh, Deliver us, Jesus. Next one's despised. The fear of being despised. Deliver us, Jesus. Next one's about suffering rebuke. The fear of suffering rebukes, being made fun of. Deliver us, Jesus. Here's a huge one for many of you, being forgotten. From the fear of being forgotten when God shows up, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, or I can add wronged again, Hmm. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus. And now prayers for others. That others might be loved more than I. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire this. That others might be esteemed more than I. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire this. That in the opinion of the world, Others might increase and I would decrease. Jesus, give me the grace to desire this, this unnatural want. Here's a big one for many people who are leaders. That others may be chosen and I would be set aside. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire this. That others may actually be praised and I would go unnoticed for what I do. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire this. That others may be preferred to me in everything. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire this. That others might become holier than I, provided that I might become as holy as I should. That's spiritual comparison stuff. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire this. Now, our prayer, O oh Lord Jesus, that you would increase in this church and us as personalities would decrease. That all our fear and wants would be found in you, Jesus, and no one else. And that your voice and your truth, what you say about us, would be more powerful, more beautiful, more intoxicating than anything else. Here's my last prayer and then we'll respond in song. Nikki can come up. Jesus, for our church, I pray this very simply. I pray that you would allow us to be A voice one of the voices in this region and prepare the way for the lord and i pray you would not relent and i pray in the very heart of hearts of each person in our community children youth young adults and adults that you would radically change our motives and we'd never get in the way of jesus oh jesus do an unnatural work because everything we just heard and prayed will never happen unless you show up we invite you to come have your way among us, we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you want to know more about C4, get connected to the life of the church, or give to this ministry, visit our website, www.c4church.com.